God does not justify us and put us into a right relationship with Him by grace through faith alone, merely as a launching pad back into the law. All too often we move far too quickly from grace back into law, as though all God has really done in justification by faith alone is paperwork in heaven. I just heard a, a, a pastor named Stephen Lawson literally say that, that justification by faith alone doesn't do anything for you. It's just paperwork in heaven. So now that we're saved, in other words, now that we're saved, what we need to do is get down to the business of living as well and rightly as we can every day by making sure we follow the law. And if we don't do that enough, or aren't committed to it enough, or don't feel committed to it enough, then we need to question our salvation. The problem is, is not that Christians haven't been commanded to obey. We have. But we don't live by our obedience. Even though we're commanded to obey, we live because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Romans 6 is here in the flow of Paul's argument to begin fleshing out the implications of having peace with God for our actual experience daily as Christians. How does justification affect us daily? Does it affect us every day? What will our lives be like now that we have been put into this right relationship with God and we have peace with Him? And one of the most important things to realize as we begin studying this side of it now is how the Apostle Paul talks about sin. In Romans when Paul wants to talk about the specific things we do that are sinful, he speaks mainly in terms of trespasses. These are the things we commit daily when we are ruled by sin. Sin in Romans almost needs a capital S so we can understand how Paul is using it here. In Romans, sin is mainly this malevolent power, this kingdom brought into the world through Adam in which death reigns as king. And that distinction is crucial as we head into Romans 6 this morning. Justification by grace through faith alone transfers us out of the kingdom of sin and into the kingdom of grace where we daily walk in newness of life. Let's pray and then we'll look at this beautiful passage together. Father, I thank you for your word. How I thank You for it, that we can just lean on it, that we can believe and trust and preach the words on the page as they are. Father, I pray that You would guide our thinking, our understanding, Father, of this text and what it's saying to us. Lord, please help me preach clearly, faithfully to the text for the sake of the souls of every single person present and how we think. I ask you pray this, Father, for your help, for your overshadowing power and the filling of your Holy Spirit, for the sake of preaching and the sake of hearing in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 1 of Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? That is, now that grace reigns through righteousness leading to eternal life from 521, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound. That is, should we continue to live under the lordship 
of sin as though sin is still the reigning king. Remember in 5.16 that the judgment following Adam's one trespass brought condemnation to all, but the free gift of justification that followed all the trespasses that resulted from being imprisoned under sin because of Adam brought justification. So sin has already continued and increased. The bringing in of the law in 5.20 is what did that, that increased our trespasses exponentially has resulted in the grace of God being poured out on us by Jesus as a gift. So that now, or so now that we are under the reign of grace and not death, he is asking, do we still have to keep on sinning to get more grace to come? Because that's what was necessary under the law, to have the trespasses increased, that justification might come. That's what the bringing in of the law meant, that sin would increase and increase and increase. Is that how you, since before that brought grace, justification, is that what we need to keep doing in order to get more grace to come? In verse 2, by no means. By no means. How can we who died to sin, that's what happened in justification, die to sin, still live in it? Beloved, the reign of grace has already been established in all of its overflowing, unending, superabundant goodness. It can't abound any more than it already did when Jesus offered up his life at the cross. So more sinful behavior under the law in the kingdom of sin will not produce any more grace, nor is any more grace needed. It can't abound any more than it already has. Since the reign of grace has begun, we don't have to keep on sinning to get grace to come. All our sin has been covered in Christ. Grace is already abounding. We have died to King's sin. And dying to King's sin removes us from the life of this age and sets us free from its control and its tyranny. The argument here is not... Now that you have grace, make sure that now you follow the law and stop committing trespasses so much or grace is going to stop. That's not the context. That's not his argument. Nor do we lapse into some kind of antinomianism, no law whatsoever where we live however we want. No, but the argument here isn't about that. Here, Paul's point is that we are no longer under the dominion of King sin. So why would we continue to live like we are? In context, that means why would we continue to try to make grace come by sinning when it has already come in Jesus? We don't live in that kingdom anymore. Verse 3, do you not know? So he's assuming that all of his readers are going to understand what he's talking about. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? When we were baptized into Christ Jesus... We were actually baptized into his death. This answers the question in verse 2 as to how could we continue to live under the reign of King Sin when we've been baptized into Christ. That's his argument. This means the old condemned and sinful me from Adam died with him at the cross in baptism. You see how God is taking the issue of assurance and confidence for our faith out of our hands and placing it all in his He's telling us that he has, or, or what he has done to us, done to us by placing us in his son. In verse 4, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death 
in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So it's not only crucial to believe that Jesus died, but that He was also buried. This is a confessional statement often in the New Testament. Paul does it in 1 Corinthians 15, that He was buried. Because the burial of Jesus means He actually died. And that means we find here that you and I did too. Because we have actually been baptized into the death and burial of Jesus. Now, if you look there, we would expect the flow of the sentence to be, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might be raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. But it doesn't say that. It's not that that isn't true, but it doesn't say that. Instead, it tells us that there are implications of dying and being buried with Christ through baptism for our lives now, for our experience on earth between baptism and our death, or, of course, Christ's return. In other words, we've been given a wonderful gift in baptism, beloved. By God's grace, we have been invited to live under the reality of God's gift to us in Christ. We no longer need to live as though we're under the dominion of King Sin to be His slave. We no longer need to live under the fear of death and condemnation. We've been made new. We've been set free. This is what being baptized into the death of Christ has done for us. It's given us new life. So, beloved, take heart this morning. Take heart as you consider this text and the abundant, abounding grace of God to you. Look at these words. Look at the promise. Look what God wants to do for your faith here by giving to us what is ours in baptism. Something that happened to us, not something we have given to God. That's not what my peace with God or life with God is based on. Verse 5, For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. So the death of Jesus united us with Him. We died there with Him by and in Baptism, And if that happened, the negative, if that happened, if we died with him, imagine how much more the opposite, the positive is true, that we have been raised with him. Not only are we united with Christ in his death, we're also united with Christ in his resurrection. We're united with him in a resurrection that brings one back from the dead, back out of the kingdom of sin. That old me with all its sin and weakness and corruption is really dead. Gone. To sin is to resuscitate Him. Gone because I've been united with Jesus in His death by baptism, the text says. This is all in response to the question of whether I should continue in sin so that grace may abound. No. Don't continue in sin that grace may abound. Live free from it because grace has abounded. You're alive. You're alive. We no longer have to try to make grace abound. Jesus took on sin so that grace would abound. That's 5.16. He has already accounted for our many trespasses, for our continuing sin, by accomplishing full and complete justification. That's what He applies to us when we die with Him in baptism. Grace is abounding. Live like you're free. Live like you're alive. Not like you're dead and enslaved to sin. We will be raised from the dead just like He was. Because our sin, that condemned self, has been 
buried. In verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin, this that you're looking at, this whole existence might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So the very reason Christ died was that the body we had under the reign of death through sin would be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to its dominion. We do not have to live as though grace isn't there and we have to do something, anything, to make it happen. In Paul's words, baptized children of God in this text, the death that sin brings has no power over us. None. The grave of condemnation cannot hold us, which means the grave of dirt won't hold us either. Now, my old self isn't destroyed. It's not gone yet. I'm, I'm standing right in front of you. The body of sin is you're looking at it. I'm standing right in front of you. So it's still here, but it will be brought to nothing because of Christ right now. It's still crying out to be released. It still wants to have its way, right? As Peter says it, my, my old flesh is waging an active daily war against the new me, the redeemed soul, the spirit inside me. But now I need not give in to him. That, that, that's a choice I don't have to make that I often do, which is why it's good that grace has abounded for me. I am now under no obligation to remain the slave of my sinful flesh. Verse 7, 4, one who has died has been set free from sin. So, this is going to become increasingly important in the next few chapters of Romans. For Paul, death ends a relationship, which means any legal obligations involved in that relationship are also ended. Keep that in mind as we, in these next few weeks, get into Romans 7. Now, if what Paul meant in verse 7 was that eventually, if you're a Christian, you'll stop sinning altogether because of grace. That's how I was raised in the Nazarene church. Then Paul is a liar unless you can find a perfectly obedient, never sinning Christian. So what does he mean in verse 7? He means that king sin has no claim on me. For me now, continuing in sin... That's a willful choice on my part to keep living like a slave. What is real, what is true, is that God says, I've been set free from sin. Because I have died. I've been buried with Jesus in baptism, back in verse 4. I am set free from sin. The sentence and dominion, it's gone. I've been set free from this tyrant who once ruled over me, forcing me to give in to him. Instead, we have a new king, a better one, who gives us life through his death and resurrection for us. Verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So, if we've been raised from the dead as Christ has been raised from the dead, which we have been in verse 5, then just as death no longer has dominion over him, it no longer has dominion over us. This is most certainly true. It's what the text says. So that's not my experience. It doesn't matter if that's our experience. That's what is true. 
King Jesus still has his scars in his resurrected body, but they don't bleed anymore. They aren't fatal to him anymore. His his resurrection body isn't weakening. It isn't decaying. Paul is speaking of sin as the tyrant that ruled over me in death. And I've died to this tyrant. I'll never die under sin as my king ever again. If I did, I would die eternally. Jesus conquered death. Death no longer has dominion over Christ or me. I still have my scars. I still bear the shell of my old self. But they aren't fatal. My soul is not decaying as I walk through the world by faith and not by sight. In verse 10, for the death He, Christ, died, He died to sin. That's my death. Died to sin. One death for all sin. Right? But the life He lives, He lives to God. I now abide under the reign of Christ and of grace. This life, the new life from verse 4, I live to God, this new life. He owns me. He is my king. My citizenship has been moved. I no longer serve under King sin in my flesh. I serve King Jesus in my soul. And this is how, beloved, this is how we must learn to think. That's all he's arguing for here is how a Christian thinks. This is what we must preach to ourselves Every day. This is why I'm always saying, don't listen to yourself. Talk to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. Look at verse 11. So, in light of all this truth, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's what you and I must do. Paul is telling us that we must learn to think as those whose minds have now been taken captive by the life-giving Word of God. Beloved, the Christian lives in light of truths we can't see or touch or feel or smell. We believe that what is real, what makes us who we are and grounds us in confidence, is beyond our senses, beyond our ability, and are made true by someone else. I am what God says I am. The faith that justifies is the same faith by which we walk in newness of life. It is a gift from above, not a virtue I produce and live out of. If that's how I think of my faith, I'm not considering the right thing. Beloved, believe the words on the page of Scripture. Believe them. Remember that the words you are are standing behind the and, and upholding the words you must consider yourselves. That command in verse 11 is coming out of the you are's of verses 1 through 10. The reality of our death and life with Christ is forensic. It's spiritual in that right now it's hidden except through the eyes of faith. And it won't be revealed for me to see that it's true with my eyes until the last day. But until then, dearly beloved, there will not be equality 
in our daily lives between what God says is true about us and what we actually feel or experience. Don't look for that. Don't look for what cannot be seen. You do not have assurance because you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, okay, I've come far enough. I've done well enough. I'm doing well enough. Now I know that my faith isn't a joke. No, 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 no. That's not... You don't look to yourself to consider things. We will not look like what God says we are, is what I'm saying. We won't. But our current attitude and behavior in real time are meant by God to be affected and shaped by what He has promised. By what He has promised. We must learn to consider ourselves to be what God says we are on the pages of Scripture right now because of His Son by grace through faith in Him. This is the way we live. We are dead to sin. We are dead to sin. It no longer rules us. We are no longer its slaves. The text says in baptism we have died and been buried with Christ. And when we come up out of the water, we've been raised to newness of life. That's what we're seeing. We are now alive to God in Christ Jesus. Alive to God in Christ Jesus. I don't feel like that. It doesn't seem like that. Beloved, consider something else. As true. Consider the truth of God's word that is there for you on the page and is there for us in baptism in Romans 6. Something you can look to that is outside of you. Don't go into yourself. Go back to Him. Go back to what He did. Rejoice this morning, beloved. Rejoice that God has done something to you rather than that He's always waiting to get something from you. What He has done to you in Christ is finished. This is the way we live. We aren't running around trying to get grace, not by sinning more and not by obeying more. Grace has abounded. We're justified. We're free. We're accepted. We will live eternally. This is True, consider yourselves to be what God says you are. Notice the Bible doesn't give ways and means out of dealing with daily trespasses. It gives us the gospel. It gives us the objective work of God in Jesus Christ that happens to me, that I did nothing to provoke, don't maintain, don't sustain, and will not complete he who began the work in me is the one who will complete it on the final day. This is my trust and my hope as a believer. Ours are lives of consideration as Christians more than they are anything else. So this morning, believer, consider. Consider that you are in fact who God says you are. Every single day. Preach it to yourself when you wake up, regardless of how you feel or what you're experiencing. Because all that God says about you is the result of all that He has done for you. 
So from here until the end, consider yourself in light of Jesus Christ. He is truth and He is life and He is here this morning to be ours for the receiving. You are welcomed in Christ. He is for you, believer. An unbelieving person, He is for you. Receive Him. Believe that what the Bible says is true. In light of that, repent of your sins. Believe on Jesus Christ. That's what it means to receive this gift. This is Jesus for us.